what I ended last week on, though, was uh, to talk about the launch team. Um, and so we introduced all of those different people and talked about their different roles. We had those people stand up, and, uh, and we all prayed for those individuals as we kind of launch out together into this new endeavor of ours. Um, there's another group, though, that I believe are just as influential in the church. There's, there's another group of people who are just as important to the success of the church if we're going to actually be about what God has called us to, to be about and to do. Uh, th- there's another group of people who the launch team will need to re- rely on heavily uh, in order to make this thing launch off the ground and get where, where we're going. Fortunately, I, uh, I happened to take a picture uh, of that group of people. So I'm actually going to show it to you. Uh, it's a recent picture. I took it last week. Um, this group of people is the core team. Uh, this is the core uh, of what we believe God is going to do through our church. This is, if you think of it as sort of the nucleus uh, of a cell that's going to repeat itself over and over and expand and grow and do amazing things for the kingdom. Uh, this group of people is the core uh, of what we do. And so this morning, even if you didn't happen to be here last week, uh, you are part of that core. Uh, that, that is a group of people that are just as influential that, that God would want to use in a powerful way, just like the launch team, uh, to do some amazing things here uh, through Cultivate. And so this morning, I kind of wanted to introduce you uh, to that team and, and to welcome you to be a part of it. Um, th- there's a couple things that that team means, and, and um, I was thinking about how to define the core team. What, what does it mean? What does it look like uh, for, for those of us that are part of this church if we want to uh, be a part of what God's doing in our midst, how, how do we get to, to be a part of that core team? And the first thing I would say, uh, and this is the, the thing I'll spend the least amount of time on, is uh, that to be on the core team, uh, we think, should mean that you're on a, a ministry team. Uh, and so we've actually uh, outlined those on the back of the program slash bulletin. Um, and uh, you see all the different people that are involved in the launch team. Um, we would love it if uh, you would uh, call, email, contact, see some, some of these people before you even leave this morning about how you can be involved. Um, some of those uh, people are, are now actively forming teams. They're starting to, to uh, get together their initial meetings about how things are going to operate. I know Action Team is one of those things that are going to start to meet on Tuesday. Um, there's a lot of activity, and we want to see people get involved in, in the activity of the church. Um, the other um, element, I think, did, did Pam mention this? The, the fact that we are now doing vision um, dinners. Did you mention Okay. <clears throat> I just, you know, could be the pneumonia, and I just didn't hear. Um, we had our first one of those uh, on Friday night, and we're having uh, at least five of those. And they're filling up, and they filled up kind of quickly. Uh, so we have the opportunity to do a sixth one if all of them fill up. So if you weren't here last week, essentially what we're doing through these is they're an opportunity for you to come and participate in what we believe God is forming uh, for our vision for the future. And so what I said last week is that essentially I believe that God was starting to paint a picture for us, right? That, that vision is by its nature a picture of the future that produces passion, and so as we view that picture, as we kind of look into the future, that it should produce within us passion to want to get on board and to be involved in it. And so these vision dinners are sort of the first opportunity that, that we're giving everyone who, who calls this church home uh, to come, maybe hear a few more details, ask some questions, uh, and to start to paint that picture together of what the, the, the church will look like in the future. So we had the first one on Friday. Uh, it was at Kenny and Lisa's house. Uh, I had a great time. Did everybody have a great time? That was, like, that was Lorraine's cue. So I encourage you, please, uh, if you haven't signed up for one of those already, uh, you'll have the opportunity to do that even as you leave. If you don't do that, if you forget on your way out, um, you can email community at cultivatenj.com. Uh, that's the 
fifth, uh, fifth slot down on the back of your bulletin, and uh, we'll get you plugged into one of those upcoming dates. Um, the other uh, area, as we're talking about being a new church and being a part of that new church and, and kind of growing with God and, and coming around one another, is that uh, we believe that part of what that means is to be part of a missional community. And so last week what I talked about is that we we cultivate a few different things here, right? And I started the, the process of what it is that we cultivate. One of those things was big ideas. Um, one of those was I call global action, right? The fact that we are locally and, and globally uh, on mission and action with God and what he's doing in the world. We're serving people both here and abroad. Uh, the final thing, which I didn't spend a whole lot of time on, was this piece of missional community. So I'd like to kind of unpack that. What does that mean? What does that look like for us as we move forward? Uh, so I'm going to do this by looking at Acts 2. Um, this is kind of the famous passage um, of the early church. It's a sort of snapshot of a group of people who are on mission with God. What does it look like uh, for them to be serious about following God into into his mission and doing it in community. Uh, so they um, just a, a bit of backdrop. They uh, now are, are on the other side of Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit has come to them. Um, they, they've kind of been commissioned for, for their mission in the world. Uh, Peter stood up in the assembly of, of the Jewish people, and uh, he gives this long sermon. 3,000 of them come to faith. And then this is the very next chapter, which describes now the new life of the people that were part of this community that had just come on board. So they're, they're starting out in a fresh way, and this is how it describes it. Uh, starting in verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily, uh, added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there's four elements that I want to talk about uh, that are that are kind of buried in this passage about the kind of community that these people experienced and the impact that they had uh, on their world. So the first one is that uh, this was a community uh, who was passionate about seeking God. They, they were passionate about coming together uh, to seek God, and we're going to call this the upward movement. This is the upward element of what this group was about. So what we're going to do is talk about four different elements, uh, upward, um, forward, inward, and outward. Those are going to be the four sort of movements that you'll see through this church as they gather together. And the first one of those is upward. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. <coughs> I think the key word in that is that they devoted themselves to it. And you think about devotion, it means to commit yourself fully to something. So you're not sort of a sideline viewer, right? You're, you're not sort of one foot in, one foot out. You're completely devoted to something. You've sort of given your life to it, and you've decided by way of, of your actions and the, the posture of your life that you were going to give yourself to that mission. And so it, it says that they gave themselves to two different things. The first thing that they gave themselves to uh, was the apostles' teaching. Now back in, in this day, uh, they didn't have Bibles, right? Um, th this was just on the other side of Jesus dying and resurrecting. The, the only connection now that these new people, these 3,000 that had just gathered, had to Jesus was the apostles. They were the link, right? Because they were the ones that walked with Jesus and knew him and had experienced him. And now the, these apostles were now teaching everything that they knew, all that, that Jesus had imparted onto them, uh, onto these new believers. It was their word of God. Uh, it was how they experienced God. Um, it was the only connection that they had, really, other than spirit, to, to what Jesus had done in this world. Uh, for us, it works a little bit differently, right? Uh, we have now uh, the written word. And so for us, uh, to hear the apostles' teaching isn't necessarily to hear it orally, right? 
as they would have, but it's to hear it written and to experience it as a written word and to incorporate that teaching into our lives. Um, so as, as we are sort of gathering in community, it's going to be vital for us to allow the word of God to shape what it is that we do. Now let me say that again. It's going to be vital for us to allow the word of God to shape who we are and what we do. Now, that seems a little bit abstract, right? I mean, and it seems a little bit just, uh, you know, what else would we do? We're a church, right? (laughs) That's what churches do, right? They teach. Um, But here's the difference for me. Um, A lot of the times when, when we gather as communities and, and as churches, um, we do it kind of on our time and then we sort of allow God in, right? Um, we sort of make our own agenda and then we pick out a Bible verse that's convenient for, for our agenda and we plug it into it. And, and sort of we use that as our proof text to kind of live the way of life that we would prefer. What I'm saying is that as if, if we are to complete the vision that we talked about last week, of becoming this community of people that's serious about following God and about producing good fruit for the sake of the garden state in the world, uh, then it will be on God's agenda and not ours. Uh, and so that means that we need to be communities that are serious about coming around the word of God and letting God's words shape our lives and shape the communities that we're a part of. Um, the second thing that it says that they devoted themselves to was to fellowship. And then there's a little comma, and after fellowship, it says, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Uh, so I think that what he's saying through this is that um, fellowship is, by nature, breaking of bread and prayer. It, it means to gather around uh, sort of the elements, right, that we talked about, the, the body and the blood of Christ, uh, and prayer to, to seek God together. Uh, it, it is a time when communities get the chance to come around one another and and to uh, experience God, to remember him, right, through uh, his broken body, which was symbolized in the bread, and his shed blood, which is symbolized in the, the well, we have grape juice, right? Um, some denominations have wine, you know, uh, depending on which background you're from. Uh, but those elements remind us of what Jesus did. Their, their participation that we have, right, in what God has already done. And we remember what he's done, and we look forward to the day he comes back when we partake those things together. And then it says the other element of fellowship is uh, is prayer. is gathering together uh, with believers and seeking after God through prayer. And so for us, prayer is going to be an instrumental element of how we conduct the life of this church. Uh, we need to make prayer one of the top priorities of what we do in every area of how we conduct ourselves. From the ministry teams uh, to our life groups to Sunday morning, uh, that needs to be at the very center. Because as we talked about two weeks ago, right, with the being deeply rooted in Christ and producing fruit for his kingdom, uh, that it starts with inviting God to be the center of the activity. It starts with, with us inviting him to be a part of what we're doing and to say, God, you shape it. You make it what it is. Um, that's what it means to have fellowship. <clears throat> so if you were to, to look for a good definition of the word fellowship, uh, it would be a group of people who have decided to partner together to seek God. That's really what fellowship is. It's a group of people who have decided to partner one to another in order to seek God for their mutual benefit for his mission. And so that will be the first element. So let me ask you a couple questions. Uh, How much time do you normally spend with other believers listening to God through his word and praying? How much time do you spend devoting yourselves with other people listening to God and praying? That's going to be a key question of how we conduct ourselves, right? Because we need to have the time to listen to God and to pray to him. Uh, How often do you experience powerful answers to prayer? In your own life, in the life of the church, how often do you experience those things? Because that will be a test of how well we are connecting with God through prayer and through fellowship. Um, that, that will be part of how we seek God in the upward um, 
movement. Uh, the second element that he talks about, uh, I'm calling the forward element, is, and it's uh, following Jesus. So these communities who are on mission with Christ, they seek God and they follow Jesus. Uh, in verse 43 it says this, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now think about this. What were the apostles doing? Anybody? Performing signs and wonders. (laughs) (laughs) It's a simple question. (laughs) Where did they see signs and wonders performed? Through Jesus, right? So where did they get the idea that they could perform signs and wonders? It's from Jesus, right? So they they are, by names, what they're doing is exactly what they saw the person who they follow doing, right? They're not doing anything out of the ordinary necessarily for for what their mission is. They, They are performing the acts that they saw Jesus perform. They're doing what Jesus did. And so you can make that distinction. They are followers of Jesus. That's what they are. That's that's what they're doing. They're following Christ. Now, I'm not saying that that we should be performing signs and wonders and miraculous things, necessarily. Um, I'm saying that as we are intentional about being a community which follows Christ, we should be following him uh, in the way that he conducted his life. There should be something different about the way we live our lives that looks differently, that's counterculture to to the society that we're a part of. So, in other words, we shouldn't be shaped by the culture that we're a part of. Uh, we should be countercultural in that we should look differently uh, from the world around us. And that's exactly what um, what the apostles were doing. So let me ask this. Would somebody say that about you? If you were serious about that, would somebody say that you look differently than your coworkers, than your neighbors, that you love people to a greater extent than 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 those people do, that, that you have more grace for people uh, than than those around you, um, or do we often look like the world around us? We often say one thing and act in a different way. Christians are old-fashioned, hypocritical, anti-gay. Live in a bubble. They're fake, phony, talk out of both sides of their face, have a list of rules and regulations that they have to follow all the time, and they're definitely not fun. Christians always have ulterior motives. So a lot of my friends, when they think about Christians, they think about people who have no clues, really. Uh, they live in a world that's not real. They're just kind of their own little existence, doing their own little thing. Um, and they are hypocritical. You know, some of them, again, we say certain things, we don't follow it up. People assume that you're coming from this closed-minded worldview. My non-Christian friends think that I'm always judging them, that I think that I'm better than them. They assume that Christians don't like gay people. I feel like we're just in a place right now where we have to surprise people and challenge their assumptions about what Christianity is because the assumptions that people have about Christianity are so firm at this point that they can actually parody us with pretty good accuracy. (laughs) I love that line. They can parody us with pretty good accuracy. Uh, Isn't it a shame that we've come to that point uh, in terms of the the church being a part of, of this country? Um, that, that people can have a parody of what we are, but they don't really see a difference in the way that we live our lives. They see us teaching uh, and, and talking one way and living our lives a different way. Um, I, I saw a, a, uh, an article this week. Um, it was actually on, on, um, in a business article, a business journal, and it was talking about some of the top ways that people sort of shoot themselves in the foot when they go to job interviews. So it's talking about all these different ways that that uh, people make mistakes when they're doing their job searches. And one of those mistakes is actually towards the very top um, was their social media presence. So they, they go into a job interview, right? Uh, they present one side of themselves to the person who's interviewing them. They leave the interview, and then the interviewer goes and checks out who they really are on Facebook. 
And what they see oftentimes is a totally different reality, right? They say one thing, but when they, they check out the, the picture into their actual lives, they see something totally different. Uh, and those people aren't the ones that get jobs, right? Um, what if what if we've been kind of, I'm not saying this about us, but in general, in terms of the Christian church, teaching one thing, but our social media says something different about us. So we claim one thing. We, we claim we're, we're, we're living up to our teaching, but then when people check us out in our real lives, they see something totally different. Guys, this, this has to change uh, in the church in order for it to make any strides into our society. We need to be people who live up to the words that we say that we're going to do. We need to be people that are actively uh, seeking to live lives in pursuit of the teaching that we claim to be about. And to do it with humility, right, and grace towards other people. Um, in the book, and sometimes that doesn't always happen in the church. Um, in, in the, there's a book called Unchristian uh, by a guy named David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons. And they discuss uh, some of the perceptions that people have outside of the church uh, when they come in. And uh, some, some of what people think about these uh, believers when they come into the church. And in a, a chapter titled Hypocritical, uh, they recall an interview that they did with a woman named Victoria, who was a 24-year-old single mom, about her experience within the church. And she says this. <coughs> Everyone in my church gave me advice about how to raise my son. But a lot of the time, they seemed to be reminding me that I have no husband. And besides, most of them were not following their own advice. They made it hard to care what they said. They were not practicing what they preached. Um, I think that we destroy our witness when we're not serious about following Christ. If we make church all about... Sunday morning and kind of the, the act of, of just doing worship together, then we miss the boat in terms of being real with people outside of the church. We, we miss a golden opportunity for us to actually follow Jesus into the world to show that we're different from the world and that we want to live our lives in a way uh, that is humble towards our own righteousness, right? Humble towards ourselves and how far we've gotten uh, but that loves other people, that forgives others, that extends grace to people. Uh, lives that are lived that way, I would say lives that are, are following Jesus actively in the way that he lived his life, right, uh, will have an impact on those people that, that we're a part of. Here's my theory. We're going to be called hypocritical by, by one group of people or another, right? Jesus was called hypocritical too. Uh, but Jesus was called hypocritical because he claimed to be a holy man, but he spent his time with sinners, right? Um, I would rather be that kind of hypocrite than the kind of hypocrite that puffs my own self up and yet doesn't live up to the standards that I've put to my own life. Does that make sense? And so as, as we're thinking about how we want to follow Christ as a church, let's, let's be the kind of hypocrites uh, that say that we're on mission with Christ and yet are willing to spend our times, our, our time with people who are less fortunate than us, who who may not uh, clean up their act as well as we are able to on Sunday morning. Um, let's be that kind of church. Let's be those kind of hypocrites for the sake of and the cause of Christ. Um, so some some of the questions that I would ask you in response to that is. Um, would you say that your life increasingly looks like the life of Jesus? Do you see victory over time in your life um, because God is working his salvation out in, in your midst? Do you see victory over areas of sin in your own life? Are you growing? Um, the other question I was asked is, how often do you, stay, do you take stock of your growth over time? How often do you allow yourself to be self-examined so that you can say with clarity, I'm not where I was before. I'm not where I was six months ago or 12 months ago. And how often do you allow other people to give you an accurate picture of your own life? And that's a key question. And I was thinking about this in, um, in terms of reality TV shows, right? <laughs> the people that are on reality TV shows, they have a, a camera that goes and follows them around everywhere they go for you know hours on end. 
And then the editors come and they clip down that footage into like a half an hour show. Um, and yet, and so they, they put this show on television and we look at those people and go, do they realize what they're doing? Like, do they realize how stupid they look or how silly they act or, or the kind of destructive behaviors they have in their own life? Um, what if somebody were to follow you around with a camera for 24 hours and then edit that footage down into your greatest moments and then play back the reel for you? Would it make good television? We could do our, our own, uh, our own uh, South Jersey Shore or something like that. Um, <laughs> apart from doing that, though, I, I know of no greater mirror for one's life than community. I don't know of any greater mirror that we can hold to ourselves than when we allow others to have access into our lives and to say, look, this is an area that you're strong in, but you're weak here. You know, as we're talking about uh, this area of our, our lives together, um, I see that there are some real changes that need to happen. Do you have people like that in your life? Because if not, you should. Uh, we all need that. Because we, we are uh, a filter for our own lives. We all do this, right? We filter out the bad things that we do and we emphasize the good, right? And so if somebody were to ask you what you did this week and how you lived your life, you would say, I did a pretty good job. You know, you minimize the time that you screamed at your kids, but you maximize the time you loved, you know, you held the door open for your coworker. Um, and, and, and when you construct your life like this, if you allow yourself to kind of pass unfiltered through that kind of life for long enough, you become exactly what you think you are. Or your perception of yourself is the only perception that becomes valid. And if you let your life kind of go along that track for long enough, you become sort of antagonistic to anybody that might bring counsel or advice into your life. And the longer you operate in that mode, uh, the more closed-minded you are to the opinions of other people. I mean, it's just a reality. Uh, so we need to be people that allow others in that do this together if we're going to be following Christ. Uh, the third uh, element, the third movement I'm uh, discussing this morning is inward. Um, so we need missional communities that seek God, follow Jesus, and love people. That's the inward. Uh, verse 45, uh, 44 and 45, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Um, there's two things in here. The first is that they had everything in common. Now, when you first read that, you think, okay, if they had everything in common, they must have been all the same you know, socioeconomic background. They, they must have been all the same race, spoke the same language, uh, been very similar to one another. But that's not what I think it says, because if you keep reading on in Acts... Um, you see just how different the people are. Remember, even in the first week when we talked about the God of New Beginnings, that there was a slave girl and a soldier and a fashionista all together sort of planning this church. They looked nothing like one another. So what does it mean to have everything in common? It means that they made the most important thing what was common in their midst. They centralized uh, what it meant, this this idea that, that Christ had come and had lived a life for them and died for them and rose again for their sins. Um, <clears throat> this life that he was creating in their midst, they made that the central piece. And everything that they did became a byproduct of that thing that they had in common. They met together and they made what was central common to everyone. And so when you do that, uh, you're able to overcome a lot of differences, Right? When you make that the central piece of your theology and how you operate and how you live your life, then differences between you and someone else who may be in the same community are now minimized. Differences in age, differences in race, differences in income, um, differences in background, ethnicity, religion. 
uh, all of those things become minimized because you're increasing the value of Christ in your midst. And you're saying, we can share life together based on this common bond that we have in Him. And because of that, we won't, we won't let our differences separate us. That, that is the kind of community I think that we have to be. Uh, a, a people who have everything in common. The, the other uh, element to this is that they sold property and possessions. And here's the key. They gave to anyone that had need. Um, First John actually um, puts it this way. Um, it says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? That's a pretty bold statement, right? And then he says this, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Let's not love with words and just say, oh, you'll be fine. Let's love with our actions and in truth. And so that means if there's someone hurting in our midst, then we need to be the kind of people that lift that person up. When there are needs in a home, uh, we need to be the kind of people that rally around those folks to help them get back on their feet. They had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Uh, we actually had a need that arose in our midst um, just over the weekend, right? Uh, some of you know about this. We had a, a couple that was traveling uh, through our area uh, down to Memphis, right? And uh, along uh, the, the wife uh, was pregnant and uh, was full term, apparently, right? And uh, when, when they came through this area, she went into labor and uh, went over to Virtua. And we got a phone call uh, as to uh, this need that had arisen in our midst. Um, so what, what's happened since then? You, you guys tell me. Emma, you know more than I do. Uh, the baby was put in the NIC unit. It has some breathing problems. <clears throat> so um, originally she was going to be discharged this morning, but now she's going to be discharged tomorrow. So at this point, we're not sure. Okay. Um, but what's been what's been done for this family already? Um, so far, we have uh, heard our instructor be to give them two hundred dollars from our our watermark fund to help with. Initially, it was to help to get him down, get them down the, the remainder of the bus trip and for food on the way. There's also another need with the father. He is diabetic and insulin. Um, needs insulin three times a day and the insulin was left on the bus so the insulin went to Memphis and he was here. So he actually had to <coughs> go to the emergency room himself. So I haven't uh, heard from him. I just spoke with her this morning but she gave me the update on the, the baby being put in the medicated over until tomorrow at least. Okay. And so we're kind of at the point now they're going to be discharged <coughs> tomorrow so we just need to at that point I'm not so sure right now because social service is starting to get involved, so nothing short. Right. When we need to s- let them step in because they can do more. Because right. I think they're connecting with uh, social services in Memphis as well. And so um, the goal is to have them, is to fly them home instead of having them go, go by bus the rest of the way. Right. Um, so I know that there's already things that we've provided also, child. Uh, car seat, and right? clothing, 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 and providing clothing for them, mm-hmm. and there was an uh, offer for a place for the mother to stay for the two nights. Right. And we need to stay at the hospital. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, you talk about a, a need that's sort of arisen in our midst, uh, and having the opportunity to respond in love, uh, in action, right, and in truth. Um, th- there's a perfect example of something that's kind of sprung up in our midst. And uh, we have the opportunity to respond to it. Nobody else responded to it. Right. And that, yeah, that was the key. Um, I guess a number of other churches were called to see if they uh, could help. And they, their reply was essentially, if they're not a member of our church, we can't help. Wow. Um, no judgment. No one came to us. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> so you talk about an opportunity to love people in our midst. Um, there's a perfect example. I was I was talking with Jen yesterday um, about some other examples of this because we were recalling different things that happened in our life groups, and and um, she said that you know time and time again she can think of examples of times when 
uh, people within the group needed help, and the group responded in love. Um, one of those was the um, was the wedding of her son, and she essentially didn't have to do anything um, to make that happen. The group rallied around her, provided everything that that the family needed so that they could continue and just be a part of their their children's wedding. Um, I, I think we have plenty of examples of this happening in our midst, um, and, and we need to kind of be the the sort of people that are. Are, have our ears to the ground in a sense uh, to be willing and ready for God to work and to move uh, we need to have a posture of, of being ready so that when those needs arise uh, we're able to respond um, one of the situations in my own life back when, when Caleb was born and um, you know having an unexpected situation a road wave in my own life still <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um but I just remember the, you know, the support that, that came around. Um, Jen went to the hospital and spent time with Mandy uh, while she was there, and I needed to be here until I could get over there. Um, Kyle and Natalie brought us, you know, they went and raided our home and uh, <laughs> brought us all the clothes that we needed and, and uh, went and bought us lunch and brought us food and, and were, were our community. I mean, they, they were um, the people that... You know, rallied around us. We had, uh, you know, tons of people praying for us uh, through that experience. Um, that that knew what was going on in our lives and how they could respond in prayer. Um, we need to be the kind of people that love one another uh, in an inward sense. Um, so the question I would ask is, do you feel cared for? Do you feel like you're cared for uh, when you're a part of this church? Uh, and do you find that you have the opportunity to care for others often? Because it's a both-side thing, right? If, if we're going to be uh, following Christ and seeking God, it's not just about our own lives, but it's about responding to God in love towards other people. So do you feel cared for, and do you have the opportunity to care for others? Um, the other thing is, how often do you have the opportunity to connect with believers outside of Sunday morning? How often do you connect with people? Uh, how often do you do lunch together and and see one another's kids and, and uh, have an opportunity to be part of one another's lives. Uh, the last thing that, that I'm going to talk about, um, the fourth movement, is outward. So if we're going to be a community that's on mission with Christ, we seek God, we follow Jesus, we love people, and we influence our neighborhoods for the sake of his kingdom. Uh, verse 46 says this, Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes, and they uh, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. There, there are two key sort of environments that you see within this passage. The first one is that they met where? In temple courts, right? Um, the temple courts in that time were the place where commerce happened. They, they were the public meeting grounds, right, they, of both religious and economic activity in the day. Uh, they were the place where people gathered, not just Christian folks, uh, but Jewish folks and, and non-religious people uh, would come to the temple courts to trade, to barter, to get what they needed for their families, and to meet one another and to gather. Um, it was also a place where a lot of religious activities were held but not Christian activities, right? Because the Christian population was a small subset of, of the society of that day. And yet, where did they meet? Not, not in church buildings, right? But in the temple courts and in homes. And so if you think about it, uh, the homes were really the environments where people would come together to experience the kind of community that we're already talking about. They were the place where they devoted themselves to teaching and to prayer uh, and to loving one another. The temple courts were their opportunity to meet out in the world. They were a place where when they met together, they would have influence on the culture around them. They would influence uh, people who weren't yet a part of their community. Um, I, I like to think of it this way. Uh, back in the late 40s, early 50s, there was a major shift in the way that homes were constructed here in America. Does anybody know what that shift was? Uh, prior to 1950, most homes were built 
with front porches. Did you know that? So uh, my house is a good example of this. Really old house, um, but it has a wraparound front porch. <laughs> I, I thought about actually br- bringing one of my rocking chairs in to, to illustrate. Um, Around 1950, there was a shift that happened in the way that homes were constructed. And after that point in time, when, when a lot of the baby uh, or the people coming back from the war were starting to build family or have families and build houses and communities and all that, there was a shift that took place. And houses that were built after that largely didn't have front porches. What did they have? They had back decks. Yeah. So. People went from having sort of a public space, right? Because what would happen on your front porch? People would walk by and you would engage them and they would engage you. How are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you doing? And you get into these conversations with your neighbors, right? You would have this space between the private and the public where you could sort of bump into one another and interact with people. And then about 1950, people got a little bit more private. Coming back from the war, they wanted to grow their families. They wanted to be kind of involved in the home. And people got separated a little bit more from society. And instead of hanging out on the front porch, they'd hang out on the back deck. It's a little bit harder to interact with your neighbors when you have a back deck and a fence, right? Those, I mean, some of you don't want to, right? and I get that. And every time your neighbor looks over your fence, you wish you, know, you built a taller one. Um, but a major shift happened in this country. And, and suddenly, people stopped interacting with one another in that sort of public space between the, their houses and the street. And they started interacting with people that they only invited over. And it's interesting because as the century went on, homes got bigger, right? They, they grew in size, more bedrooms, uh, more rooms, more space to entertain people. But what happened? There were less people to entertain People knew less of their neighbors, and so despite having bigger houses, they were filled with less people. Before that, you had smaller houses filled with more people. You had greater opportunity to interact with your neighbors. Here's here's what I'm saying. We need to be front porch Christians. We need to be people that get off our back decks and decide to interact with the people in our worlds. Um, and yet most of us, you know, even when I sit on my front porch, uh, rarely does somebody stop and talk to me. And when they do, I, I'm a little suspicious, right? <laughs> what are you doing? Why, why, you know, why are you interacting with me? What do you want? I, you know, I don't have a lighter. <laughs> it's usually how the, the, the conversation goes. Um, maybe it says something about our neighborhood. I don't know. Um, but but we have other front porch type environments, right? We have other ways, and this is where we need everybody to kind of start dreaming about this. We need other ways to be able to interact with people, to influence them in our societies. We need other means to be able to, to do this together, uh, to interact with people. And so a, a lot of what's happened is that instead of having your front porch, you have what's called a third place. Uh, so you have your home, you have your work, and then you have your third place, sort of your interactive social place. For a lot of people, that's some place like Starbucks. Uh, here in South Jersey, a lot of that is uh, the diner. It, it's a place where you go and you meet people and you interact with somebody outside of your home and outside of your work for the purpose of building relationships. As we are a church that's looking to seek God, follow Jesus, love people, and influence our neighborhoods, We need to be the kind of people that look for every opportunity to interact with other people, to influence them for the sake of the kingdom that we're a part of. Um, So some of the questions that you might ask then is how often do you take the time to pray for your neighbors, your coworkers, or your friends? How, How often do you pray that God would use you as the influence in their lives? The other question I would ask is, what are some ways that you can start to cultivate relationships of influence with those people that God's put in your midst? How can you be a front porch Christian? How can you be a front porch follower of Christ? Uh, Because only those people that actively engage their front porch 
I would say really are the ones that are following after Christ. Because what did Christ do? He met with people. He, he had dinner with people. He interacted with folks. Uh, he didn't just take his 12 and kind of go his own way. He used every opportunity that he had uh, to, to meet with people and to influence them for the sake of the kingdom that he was representing. So, in light of all of this, uh, I want to ask you this question. How do we accomplish this, everything that we've talked about on Sunday mornings? How do we accomplish it on Sunday mornings? How do we do it? (laughs) The answer is you can't. You cannot do this on Sunday mornings. You can't be a missional community of people and only do it on Sunday mornings. You can't, I can't, we're not going to be successful at it. Because a lot of what we talked about requires being in other people's lives, right? Um, And so that's why our, our mission statement actually reads this way. Growing communities. There's a reason I made that plural. That we are growing communities rooted in Christ that produce fruit for the good of the garden state and the world. Uh, these communities, we call them life groups. Uh, this is the environment where you now have an opportunity uh, to be rooted in Christ and to produce fruit, to be people that seek God and love one another and follow Jesus and influence our neighborhoods for his sake. We need to have different environments, right? Smaller environments that we can do this with one another because we can't accomplish it on Sunday morning. Um, we can't be people who are well cared for and who seek after God and love people and influence our neighborhoods. It's just not possible. And so going back to this idea of the core team, if you were to ask me what it means to be part of the core team of Cultivate, what it means to be part of the core team of what we're doing, the nucleus of how we grow, it's that you would serve on some uh, on some ministry team and that you would join a life group. Those are the two things that I would ask for in terms of your participation in this church. I'd like you to be here on Sunday morning, too. Don't get me wrong. It's great to see everybody, even even if we are downstairs. Um, But those are the two uh, environments, the two areas that I think everyone should be involved in if we're going to call this church home and if we're going to say yes with clarity. I want to be part of the core of what God's going to do here and how he's going to move into the future. We need to be part of those two things. And, And I think if we get a hold of this reality... If we get a hold of what God has called us to do through missional communities, then then we will experience the same results that this community experienced. That, that we will experience the same kind of output that happened for these believers. And it happened, it's outlined here in verse 47. It says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Ultimately, that's my prayer here that God would continue to add those people into our midst to experience salvation through Christ and new life in Him. And that we would be the kind of people that are receptive to those that are coming in. But in order to do that, we need to be the kind of communities that say, yes, we are on mission with Christ and we're willing to do it in these four areas. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you that uh, you've given given to us such a clear example of your movement in the world. That you've shown through your word a a group of people that were serious about being a community that was after your own heart. And I pray, God, that we would learn from their example. That we would come together as a group of people that that want to uh, follow after you. To do the things that you did in this world. And to see the kind of results... Uh, that your people are able to see when, when you're in their, their midst, when you're at their center, when you're working through your spirit. So God, may we be the kind of people that seek after you wholeheartedly. May we be the kind of people that, that want to know you more, uh, that, that want to experience your grace to a deeper level, that want to experience your forgiveness in our lives that devote ourselves to your word and to prayer. May we be the kind of people that are willing to follow you with steps of faith, 
May the world look in on this church and say, these people, they're not hypocrites. They follow what they say they're going to do. And they look like the person who they claim to follow. May we be the kind of people that are known for our faith in you and our willingness to follow you wherever you lead us. And God, I pray that that we would be the kind of people that love one another to such an extravagant level that that others would look in and say, I want to be a part of that community. That, That they take care of the needs of the people in their midst so well that I want to know more about what motivates them to live that way. Father, may we be the kind of people that influence our neighborhoods for you, that are serious about being front porch Christians, that want others to know you to the depths that we've come to know you. Not because we think they're better, we're better than them, but because uh, you called us, Lord, to, to teach them about you and, and to share the experience that we've had uh, as people that are following you. God, I pray that we would be the kind of community that you could use and fill and shape, God, to follow after your mission and to do the kinds of things you call us to do. God, I'm so thankful for the people that you brought here, for those people that are, are part of this community, that, that have done such a fantastic job so far uh, in following after you serious about this mission. Pray that you'd increase our our influence, increase our opportunities, Father, and increase our numbers so that we could do that more and have more influence. Not for our sake, but for yours. We ask you for Christ's name. Amen.